The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Factories across the country have been shuttered by coronavirus and disappearing demand for things like cars and aircraft. And yet, their assembly lines have never been more important. They will be the critical source of new ventilators and protective gear. So how quickly can companies like GM and Ford switch gears? The answer will be a major factor in the fight against COVID-19. I'm Alex Yule, and welcome to The Readback. This week, we're joined by Barron's industrial reporter, Al Root. Hey, Al. Hey, Alex. I wanted to talk today about industrial America. So we all know how movie theaters are doing, we know how retailers are doing, we know how travel companies are doing, how restaurants are doing, and really, it just hasn't been pretty. Industrial America isn't quite so obvious to us day by day. How how are they doing? It's a good question, Alex. They're kind of on holiday. That might be a little glib, but you know, we're not really making a lot. Car production uh, has basically ceased as the companies, in conjunction with their unions, decided that it was safer to go home. Not a lot of people are buying cars right now, so that's not a big problem. Plane manufacturing, that's ceased as well. Boeing, at the center of a lot of problems in recent months, you know, has also stopped making some of its military equipment. And then with that comes uh, a lot of the same types of stories. Furloughs, layoffs, people getting partial pay for a month or two, but it's very painful. So given all that, It seems like maybe we're sort of fortunate because obviously there are a lot of specific things we do need in this country right now. And industrial America is sort of being asked to start producing those things from ventilators specifically to certain medical equipment. So who's doing what so far? Give us a lay of the land right now. So what has happened is the auto manufacturers have sort of turned to making ventilators. You know, General Motors partnered with a company called Ventec Life Systems to build a ventilator. Ford and General Electric uh, partnered to uh, build ventilators. Now, General Electric already makes some high-end ventilators. And so they ended up licensing a a lower-end model from a different company. And then they're going to help Ford produce it. Ford plans to produce about 200,000 ventilators by the end of the year. And just for context, the best information I could get, which was from hospital associations, indicates that there's only about 200,000 ventilators in the U.S. So Ford alone plans to double U.S. ventilator capacity uh, by year end. Wow. Well, that that's incredible. So we can all picture the cars rolling off the assembly lines in some of these production factories. Ventilators, how does it fit in? Like, how easy is this? Is it kind of just flipping a switch? My guess is there's a lot more that has to go into turning over the assembly lines. Well, that's a good question. And I would be lying if I said that I know exactly how it's going to happen. In the case of Ford, uh, so they made this announcement late March, early April. They basically said it's going to take us three weeks before our first ventilators are rolling off the metaphorical assembly line. And, you know, when companies started announcing this, you know, I I became a little bit obsessed with ventilators. You know, what are they? How do you make them? 
And what you find out is that, you know, there's seals and pumps and pistons and electrical supplies. And you start to break down the components and you realize, okay, it's just a machine like almost any other machines. And a lot of these uh, companies and engineers sort of understand the systems. So when it's all said and done, you know, that that whole uh, a ventilator, at least the, the, the simpler models, is a lot less complex than a car. And, you know, you're looking at Ford saying, we'll, we'll have ventilators in three weeks. Got it. This isn't the first go-round for industrial companies trying to really serve the national good. What, what have you learned historically about what they were able to do in the past? You know, when the partnerships get announced, you know, of course, we call up the companies and we say, okay, you know, give us some details about the products and timing and, and how much these things cost and how many workers you still need and all the normal questions that you that might pop into your mind when you hear something like, oh, no, we're not going to make Chevys anymore. We're going to make ventilators. Right. And I got a great response from General Motors. You know, they basically said, hey, listen, you're better off going to the Detroit Historical Society or uh, maybe Greenfield Village, which is part of, um, you know, the Henry Ford Museum outside of Detroit, because they're the ones that have the really good detail about all of the things that we did uh, during World War II. You know, what you find out from, you know, the online archives is Ford built a ton of bombers and General Motors built tanks, among other products. Ford built an entire bomber plant in about 30 to 60 days in the 40s. They produced, you know, 50 uh, bombers, you know, in the first few months, I'll say. And then by the end of the next year, they had churned out about a thousand. So when these industries get motivated and you just think about it from a resource perspective, they can really turn it on in a hurry when they're motivated. What does this mean for General Motors and for Ford who are making totally new products? You've already talked about the fact that they really, there is no car market right now. They, they, they weren't making cars and frankly, they didn't need to make cars. Can making ventilators work for America? And I'm also wondering, can it work for their business? I mean, could, could this actually help the automakers through the tough times? Yeah, the unfortunate answer is not really. And I just like to pause for a second and think about that statement, there is no car market right now. The impact that COVID-19 has had, one analyst on Wall Street this week estimated that April car sales would annualize at about four to five million units. It's down more than 75%. The data sets that we look at, they don't have a comparison. It hasn't been that low in generations. I mean, the lowest number I could find was 8.8 million in 1981. So it's unbelievable what has happened to output and demand uh, for some of these manufactured goods. Now, that being said, you know, I always like to say cars, phones, and houses make the world go round. Those are the big multi-trillion dollar markets. There's more than 200 million cars on American roads, more than a billion cars on roads worldwide. It is an enormous industry. Ventilators and healthcare goods don't come anywhere close. I don't know how many employees Ford and GM have off the top of my head. It's in the hundreds of thousands. I think Ford is going to bring back hundreds 
of employees to make ventilators. Hundreds as opposed to hundreds of thousands. Right. And so this is more about doing something for the public good, Mm -hmm. but it's a drop in the bucket relative to cash burn. And analysts have, you know, written about this, but, you know, the absence of information is telling. They don't even talk about cash flow or a cushion uh, because of, of healthcare sales. Uh, right. They don't even think about it in terms right. of estimates or what's going on. You know, the, the ventilator that Ford is planning to make retails for about $7,000 and they're going to make 200000 So I don't know. I can't do the math fast enough, but it's 14 with a bunch of zeros. Yeah. Well, all we know is that $7,000 is a lot less than the average price of a, of a Ford car. Right. So the average price of cars in around twenty grand, and Ford will sell a few million of them, right? So right. that is the level of difference between what's going on now and what went on then. And, you know, Lord willing, or, or whatever higher power we can all subscribe to, you know, hopefully this whole situation of no manufacturing lasts only, you know, 12 to 14 weeks. You know, hopefully the curve can get flattened and with therapies and less pressure on the healthcare system, you know, hopefully we can uh, slowly get back to work. And then, of course, in maybe 12 to 14 months, hopefully we have, you know, vaccine, more therapies, and we can completely eradicate COVID-19. If either of those timelines proves to be accurate, you know, the, the impact and, and the scale of COVID-19 versus wartime production wouldn't compare. Because World War II obviously lasted in the U.S. four years. Yeah, and they made many thousands of bombers and many thousands of tanks. And, and yeah. And then actually, Alex, the other part of that is, of course, we sent hundreds of thousands, I think, of uh, young men overseas. So it was a whole new workforce for a period of time there. Uh, so it was a, a case where uh, people were fighting and people were employed. And this is kind of the opposite of that. All right. These companies are obviously going to serve the greater good here. Are they doing this kind of because it's the right thing to do? Are they being forced to do it? Do they really have a choice in the matter? You know, it's interesting. So the president invoked the Defense Powers Act, which, again, with uh, the answer about how does a ventilator actually get put together, I'd be lying if I said I knew exactly what powers it gives him. You know, I think that no company is saying, you know, gee whiz, you know, we got so much business to do. We don't want to do this. I think everybody is sort of pulling together. Um, You know, and if you go back to this historical example, right, you know, we used to have Victory Gardens where a huge portion of, you know, uh, vegetables and fresh produce. I can't remember the numbers, but when you get into these museums, you start to go down the rabbit hole. A huge portion of the of the vegetables in the country were grown uh, on individual plots by people. I think, you know, now we'll have, you know, victory masks. I mean, my daughter is starting to sew masks for like, you know, $25 gift cards and you, you, you the filter is a coffee filter and, and they're replaceable. And, and I think, uh, you know, everybody has sort of turned their attention to how they can best help the, the frontline healthcare workers. Stocks have obviously been going crazy in the last couple months. Sometimes it's hard to really focus beyond just what the Dow Jones Industrial Average is doing or what the S&P 500 is doing. So just give us a quick view. How is Industrial America and their stocks faring right now? So 2020, from an industrial earnings perspective, you know, feels like a lost year. 
analysts have cut their earnings estimates by about 20%. And the only thing everybody knows is that's not enough. They just, you know, do it on a piecemeal basis. And they're like, you know, we're doing the best we can. We'll cut, you know, the first half estimates 20%. And then we'll see how it, see how it develops over the course of the year. You know, I think that what investors have started to do is look at uh, valuations in, in 2021, 2022 earnings. It's kind of like they they wish 2020 just never happened. You know, the sector is more economically sensitive than other areas of the economy, right? It, it, it rises and falls with global GDP. So the stocks have done about 10% worse than the overall market. And you have to put it like that because the market has been so volatile, depending on when any of these podcasts get listened to, you know, the market's up five or it's down five. So the, the industrial sector has done about 10 percentage points worse than the market, and it's sort of rebased from there. And now everybody's asking themselves, okay, what does 2021 look like? What does 2022 look like? You know, what are the permanent changes? The things that are getting discussed are things like, okay, if we deglobalize and we bring back manufacturing to the U.S., is that inflationary? Does that mean that you know, uh, it costs more to produce these things. So prices go up. So, you know, demand changes. So it's these these strange kind of macroeconomic big picture questions that are getting asked right now. And if you really think about it, it's kind of like everybody's in the coffee shop because nobody has to actually pay attention to what's going on in the plants because nothing's going on in the plants. Right. All right, Al, we've been asking this this last question to everyone who's been coming on the podcast in the last few weeks. I'm interested in knowing how you feel these days. Are you feeling more optimistic? Investors in the last week have really started to look around the corner as they see the virus potentially plateauing. How are you feeling about things? I am an optimist. You know what? I'm a reluctant optimist. I try to force myself to be an optimist. I think if you ask my family, that that's you know, the feedback you'd get. So what that means is, you know, I think this is a recessionary environment, right? COVID-19 has ended the 10-year bull run. Uh, and and from my sector, you know, earnings are going to fall dramatically, maybe 60, maybe 75%. So that means that it's a really severe recession. But that also means that this is a really good time to start thinking about what the next bull market looks like. You know, we've seen stock markets decline 20, 30 percent. That still puts them way above where they were in 08 and 09. So when you look five to 10 years down the road, it's okay. But these times are just incredibly difficult to live through. And what everybody should be focused on right now is is what industry is focused on right now, defeating COVID-19. All right. Thanks so much, Al. Thanks, Alex. To read Al's ongoing coverage about industrial America and its role in battling coronavirus, check out Barron's.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoft. We'll be back next week.